the relationships that do not conform to whatever is going on in culture are the ones that tend to be pretty successful if you ask me getting those tune-ups exercising some forgiveness and then preservation of your person for your partner these are three building blocks in the type of relationship that does a body good welcome to blended I am your host, Jeremiah Wallace, and my goal is to see blended families thriving. If you are navigating this experience, then you're in the right place. This podcast is purposed to provide support, information, and the encouragement that we need to fulfill our family's potential. Hello to all of my blended family and friends. I hope you guys have been well for those of you that have stuck around for quite some time now and to the newbies. Welcome. This is a safe place. We keep it 1000 and that is very, very necessary right now. And if it's not a thousand, I feel like nine hundred and ninety nine will suffice, you know, but last episode I recorded, we discussed relationships specifically culture's influence on our relationships. And I addressed three points that I felt were super pertinent in my own situation. And if you found that what was discussed pertained to your situation as well, or if those points were familiar, I hope it was helpful listening in and just knowing that you are not alone. Far from it. We are going to address the opposite end of the spectrum today. We're going to stay with relationships, but emphasis will be placed on the counterculture relationship. So the relationship that operates as it should ultimately. And in my opinion, I feel as if there should be health, there should be connectivity between one individual and their significant other, as well as all people or parties involved. There should be thriving, learning, vulnerability, and just for this safe place to be established within the home for people to learn and grow, become just legitimate citizens of this world that can contribute something exceptional, something that can make the difference. I believe that's the job of the home, and it starts with the relationship and adopting the ability to operate in a way that would be considered countercultural, I feel is essential. And I know that sounds like big picture stuff and me saying that our families and what happens in our homes affects our communities. Like those are big picture items and it can seem like a little much, but that is very much the case. We oftentimes underestimate the impact of what it is that we do. We don't often see the fruit of our labor within our children or even with our spouse, within our relationships. And, you know, throwing up that flag, throwing in the towel seems like a better option, but stick with it. Fight, do the things that are on your heart that you feel are important because we have the potential to do incredible things within our family. Yes, we're going big picture. So when I get to these points, I have three of them. I tend to have three. It seems just like a balanced number. (laughs) I feel like if I just had one or two, some of you guys would be itching. Maybe 
a couple of you guys don't like odd numbers and three is an issue. That's what I got right now. Okay, I'll go four next time. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> we'll see what happens. But we're starting big and then we're going to tell it back and get to those details and see what specifically exists within the counter cultural relationship and how that benefits the family as a result of being exercised between partners, spouses, significant others. So let's go ahead and get it. So I believe that the counter culture relationship is full of tune-ups and I am convinced that even the most vehicularly challenged individual is aware of the fact that tune-ups are necessary for a car to remain functional and that'll be our illustration we require within our relationships tune-ups we need to get checked up. We need to get our oil changed, whatever the equivalent to those things are. You can <laughs> you could put that together. Keep it PG, though. But we require service on a regular basis in order for us to function within our relationship, just like a vehicle. However, for those of us that are especially challenged or even the bulk of of us that have a vehicle, we oftentimes wait until the engine light comes on. We'll wait until one of our headlights are no longer functioning before we purchase some. We'll wait until we get pulled over to renew our license or change out our tags. I am guilty of all of the above, but we tend to wait until we get some type of signal or blinking or some form of alarm or smoke coming out of our engine before we address the unavoidable issues that our vehicle was going to suffer over time, especially as we put some miles on that thing. And sure, we can give ourselves pats on the back for responding to those signals and actually doing something opposed to doing nothing. <laughs> doing nothing is much more convenient than being alarmed by some random blinking that you can't interpret that's coming from your car, telling you that something needs to be fixed, changed out, or it's time to do something. So yeah, we can give ourselves a pat on the back, but if we wait until that light comes on every time before we do something, if we wait until that little marker is past the red notch to indicate the car is empty, like we are doing more damage to our vehicle than what is necessary. Our transportation, our source of transportation will be less effective and it won't last as long if this is our method of maintenance, waiting until something alarming takes place or there is an indication of damage. And I think we can say the same thing about our relationships. If we are constantly waiting for an explosion of some kind, an argument or for feelings to reveal themselves that are clearly rooted in some type of dissatisfaction, then we are behind the ball. We are ultimately accumulating damage and attrition in our relationship and the longevity of our relationship ultimately is operating at a level that is less than what is possible. So while tune-ups are very necessary, they tend to look different from one couple to another depending on the needs. 
So for a lot of us, our need is date night. And that's something that I found during the stay at home order, the pandemic. There was a significant period of time where we did not have the opportunity to literally get away from our kids, to be out just looking each other in the eyes, doing the flirtation thing, and really just pretending that our responsibility level was less than it is in reality. Those are moments of escape while at the same time, they allowed for us to be as present with one another as we've likely been able to achieve considering all things on our plate. That was a form of tune-up, but we've also experienced times where early on in our relationship, though the simplicity of hangout time and having a date would not suffice, the engine light came on, we checked it out, and we tried to determine how to work through the difficulty that we're having talking to one another or expressing ourselves or doing the co-parenting thing and our inability to do so kind of pointed to the need that we had to do something a bit more thorough than this basic date night tune-up we went full-on diagnostic we had we've gone to marital counseling and therapy concerning our relationship and so much of that brought to light our individual stuff but we were given the tools necessary to practice maintenance within our relationship all that to say our relationship has needs and tune-ups come in many different forms your tune-up may be establishing a budget with your spouse Your tune-up may consist of establishing a family huddle that you do at least once a month where you get all four to 12 of you because some of y'all be having kids, you're tripping, (laughs) four to 12 of you in a room and you discuss life, you come together and you get on the same page, see how you can support one another, see how you've offended one another so that healing and progress can take place. Maybe your tune-up is tuning out the in-laws they have too much influence or say over your circumstance and again it comes in so many different forms but it is necessary to exercise maintenance within your relationship so that its longevity is more realistic opposed to dreading the day-to-day experience or just hoping for something to go away or things to change on their own Sorry, that is not how it works. We have to be a part of our solutions and our answers that are necessary in our relationships. And I strongly suggest doing so even during times of peace. Tune-ups are still very important. If anything, they are probably going to be more profitable because you guys actually like each other. You know what I mean? And again, this is my first point because culture suggests if it's meant to be, If it's this magical situation that you've always dreamed of, it's just going to work out. It's just going to be perfect. No, I am so sorry if I am the one to burst your bubble on this matter. But the relationship that you desire and imagine in your head requires maintenance. It requires frequent tune-ups and systems in place so that you can come to a place where your relationship is not just functional or operating at a basic level, but you can constantly be in a state of growth, progress, and on your way to thriving. I believe that. 
and we're going to follow the idea of the tune-up with forgiveness. Forgiveness. Oh, it just, the word, the term is just infuriating sometimes. I promise you, someone just turned this off. <laughs> Somebody just turned off this podcast. But forgiveness, that is a necessary component of the countercultural relationship. And there are so many levels to forgiveness. By no means is it something as simple as, oh, you hurt my feelings and then I'm wiping the slate clean. For so many of us, there's actual trauma. There's things that are embedded in our memories and our emotional well-being. So something as simple as, oh, you are good. You're off the hook. It's much more complex than that. It is more complicated than that. I do, however, believe that it is possible. It is possible to exercise forgiveness because something that's really important to note is that oftentimes we don't forgive because we want to hold this person, these people accountable for their actions. But what we don't take into consideration is the fact that we oftentimes end up being the prison guard. And if this person's not leaving, we are not leaving. There are so many of us that have remained on our shift as a prison guard holding this individual accountable for their actions that we feel like we're in prison, like we can't move, like we can't do anything. Because the highest priority is for this person or these people to pay for their crimes. And there are some very apparent hurts that whether they exist within our relationship or outside of our relationship with our family, former friends, uh, previous marital relationship or dating relationship, whatever the case, even with the kids, we can harbor unforgiveness. But ultimately, it will always affect our relationship, the person that we are in a relationship with. And I'm going to say that again for the people in the back. If you have unforgiveness, even in other areas, even with family members, with co-workers, with people that you've dealt with in your past, if you harbor unforgiveness against them, then that will affect your relationship. You can be 100% good with your significant other, like them, attracted to them. You're all for them. However, if there is unforgiveness somewhere, then it's going to affect your relationship. It will. So again, there are some very apparent instances or circumstances that has caused us to have unforgiveness toward other people. But sometimes there are the subtle subconscious levels of unforgiveness that we can hold toward our spouse or toward other people. And I feel like a couple of decent indications could be the termage that you use whenever a confrontation, whether severe or mild, comes up. The terms never and always and just the tendency to keep a track record. Like I've really I've legit experienced this where I'm literally counting how many times my wife will say thank you or how often she'll ask if I need something before getting home compared to myself or just keeping track of some of the termage that she's using 
so that I can pull that out as evidence against her the next time she wants to talk to me in some kind of way. Never once do I think that's worked out in my favor, (laughs) but I have made several attempts. That's one way where it becomes apparent that there is some level of unforgiveness that I'm harboring against her. Or one big way for me is that I'll change my behaviors when this individual is in the room. Like this person does not get to see me operate in a way that could be considered vulnerable. And guess what? Laughing is vulnerable. Sharing things, your experiences, your ideas, those things are vulnerable. Even sharing a video, a random dumb video on YouTube that you enjoyed with your spouse, your partner, that's also a vulnerable thing. Like when this person enters the room, I am different. My behavior is different because I don't want them to have access to this side of me. That is another sign of unforgiveness. And again, this is something that you can have toward your partner. You can have it toward other people outside of this individual, but it will always impact the relationship that you have. So exercising forgiveness in general is huge for your relationship, but for the sake of this topic today, having forgiveness toward this individual, your partner, is absolutely important to have that countercultural relationship. But it's very important to note that it is a process. Forgiveness is something that can be expressed verbally, but it is something that tends to happen in your heart time and time and time and time again. And you have to continue to choose forgiveness. So it's not just a moment in time. It's not just an instance. It is a frequent choice, especially if the offense against you was completely out of left field, like you did not know that this person was capable of such a thing. And at this point, there may be some recalibrating of your relationship as you're learning to do life together with this new information, which oftentimes requires more intimacy. When there is offense, when there is unforgiveness, it tends to require more of us, a different side of us, a more vulnerable aspect of our being in order for us to come together and mend the situation. And yes, a mediator, a counselor, a therapist oftentimes can serve as a buffer and as somebody that can interpret things and be of help during this process. But I've found that in my own experience, when there has been offense There's just a different aspect of my being or my wife's person that I need access to, that she needs access to in order for healing to take place. So the choice that we have to make over and over to spend our energy toward progress and understanding one another and getting close together, achieving greater oneness ultimately Instead of spending that same energy as a prison guard, it is a powerful choice and the health and well-being of your relationship and your family oftentimes depends on this choice. And there are some of you that are listening in right now that have experienced some form of separation or divorce 
and you're imagining yourself right now as that prison guard, it's likely, it's possible that some of you have just now realized that you still have your ex in a cage. You're in a brand new relationship, but you are still prison guard of your ex. And it's just time to forgive, to achieve healing so that you can be fully invested in the situation that you are in right now. It is necessary for your marital relationship. It's necessary for your family. And the last thing that I want to say about this point is that unforgiveness does not protect you. That is the thought that we conjure that if we hold on to this feeling thought experience toward this other person, we can hold them accountable and therefore we are safe from this individual and they cannot do harm upon us and we can avoid similar harm from different sources in the future. And that is just not the case. Unforgiveness does nothing but create division and destruction. There is no benefit. There is zero benefit to unforgiveness. You don't have to absolutely forget what these people have done. You don't want to meditate on it anymore. You don't want it to take anything from your life and your well-being any longer. So you don't want to meditate on it, but you can absolutely learn from the experience, the hard truths about that experience, and you can choose to grow and be better for it. And the significance of your kids seeing you operate in forgiveness is so powerful. There are so many couples um, that have separated so many parents that the child sees the tension, they feel it, and it affects them deeply. But to see even if it's just one of you being free of that, no longer operating as a prison guard, no longer worrying about if you're in their cell or not, can absolutely change the perspective of your child and impact the way that they do relationships in good and in bad later on in the future. And I know that was the more extreme version of forgiveness operating in a relationship. I know there are less extreme, like the way that you let the toilet paper hang, apparently, whether it's forward or backwards, or you put something in a cupboard and they're struggling to reach a little bit. And then there's a little bit of unforgiveness in that. There's a little bit of resentment <laughs> that develops as a result. But those are the little things we can we can overcome. OK. And lastly, I wanted to talk about preservation. Preservation. That is a third component, a third, not the third. These are just three points that I think are helpful to for us to be aware of. But preservation is another aspect of our relationships that really allow for us to operate in a way that is counter to the culture. And I'm literally going to define the term so you know what I'm talking about. So preservation is a sphere of activity regarded as being reserved for a particular person or group. In this instance, we are talking a particular person. And I'll give a contrary example of preservation. There are so many examples on Instagram. There are so many examples on social media. It's funny that we celebrate when these celebrities, influencers, whatever you want to call them, these people, they suggest that they may be in a relationship or a marriage committed relationship with a family. And then we're seeing a butt shot, a full on just 
No need to exercise the imagination butt shot. And sure, good for you for being 50 or older and not being overwhelmed by cellulite. You know what? I have some <laughs> personally. It's, it's definitely an ongoing situation as I age. Congratulations. But at the same time, what about your husband? What about like, sure, dude says he's cool with it. But what's left for him and his imagination alone? There are just aspects of us that other people should not have access to. And this does not just apply to sex and our bodies. That's the more apparent version of preservation within a relationship. But the content of our conversation with other people, like we should not just be talking to anybody about anything. We have our spouse, the person that we're in a relationship with, and the intimacy present within our conversation should be unmatched and apparently different than the conversations that we have with our friends, the ones that we have with our co-workers, our kids, strangers, and non-strangers alike, or even the terms of endearment that we use. That is definitely a violation that would be in my household. I don't dare, nor do I have the desire. There is something special that my wife feels when I call her sweetheart. And how much trouble would I be and how foolish would it be for me to walk around calling every other person sweetheart like they do at 7-Eleven? I'm like, bro, stop flirting with me. Don't call it. Don't do the hun thing, okay? Don't call me lovey baby. Don't do that, 7-Eleven. I don't know what that's about. I don't know if you guys have like a manual of terms of endearment you share with your customers. Not cool. Inappropriate. Don't do it. I'm married, okay? Even the way that we dress is a factor of preservation. Like, what do we wear when we're with our spouse or significant other versus when we are not? Are they getting our best? And my wife, she's incredible. She is a fine lady and her lady lumps, like her hips don't lie. They've never told a lie, I don't believe. And sometimes like she's leaving the house and she's in leggings and I'm like, hey, that's great. Um, do I want you to? Eh, but I want you to be comfortable. That's cool. If she was, however, walking out in skirts or showing a bunch of skin, again, leaving little to the imagination of other people. That's just when there's a hard stop to that because there are things that I want within my relationship between my wife and I that she is not sharing with other people. And you can obviously find comfort levels within your relationship, but it is important to know that it is important. And this applies to you gentlemen as well. If you are anything like me, you appreciate some cologne. You want to smell good here and there. And you uh, appreciate looking decent while you're outside. However, we preserve the best of us while we're with our ladies. We want to make that effort apparent and we want to be intentional about this. And this is something that oftentimes requires intention, the preservation of ourselves for the sake of our relationship. Because if the world has the same access to you that 
your spouse or your partner does, then your relationship will likely be under threat at some point in time. There are levels of intimacy that are designated specifically for your relationship in order for it to work. But if you can't see the difference between how you operate within your relationship, whether in private or public versus the relationships that you have with your friends and other people. Like if people can't apparently diagnose for themselves that this is this individual's significant other, that is a problem. Sorry, we are not headed in the right direction. There is not enough preservation taking place. I'm not sure that that's happened to any of you before, but I can imagine the heartbreak if you believe that you're in this committed relationship with this individual and you have a conversation with somebody. And while you're having that conversation, they bring up your partner being with someone else because preservation hasn't taken place. Maybe there's some other things going on. But if you first give the benefit of the doubt, Best case scenario, this individual simply has not been exercising preservation. There is power in our privacy. So it is crucial to have a conversation so that you guys can get on the same page concerning what preservation looks like. Because if you have two entirely different interpretations on preservation within your relationship, then trouble is a brewing mistakes will be made and trust will be lost. I can kind of bank on that. So let's be sure to get to work, guys, and operate counter to culture within our relationships. Get your tune ups. Make sure you're exercising that forgiveness. Have fun with that <laughs> and make sure you're preserving what needs to be preserved. Blended on three. One, two, three. Blended. Thanks for tuning in and please take a moment to hit me with that honest rate and review and then subscribe so you don't miss out on any of this blended goodness. It's going down again next Wednesday, but until then, do not settle for anything less than what's possible.